Hello, and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast produced by the ABA section on dispute resolution, where we talk to members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. Today, I'll be talking with Anna Rappaport, a former lawyer and current executive coach with Acceleration LLC, specializing in training and mentoring attorneys to create strategic business development and career plans. She's the co-chair on the ABA Law Practice Division Law Firm Leadership and Management Committee. She's a council member on the section of dispute resolution, and she's a board member of the ABA Women's Rainmakers Group. Good afternoon, Anna, and thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about finding your niche when starting your own ADR practice. But before we dive into that specific topic, I'd like to talk a bit more about your background and how you became a executive coach for lawyers and ADR professionals. Yeah, thanks. So the coaching part actually came first. So I got some coaching experience when I went through a leadership training program. Once you go through the program, you can do it a second time and coach other participants. And I was relatively young at the time, and the first group of people I coached were all about 20 years older than me, which was pretty intimidating. But it ended up being such a wonderful experience. And that's how I learned that I loved coaching. So that continued to be an activity that I did on the side for about seven years. And eventually, I started to wonder if maybe I could make that work as a full-time job. So now I've been coaching full-time for the last 13 years. Then in about 2013, a colleague started nudging me to get involved in the ADR world. Basically, her reasons were that I had a background with mediation because I had mediation training. And my practice, even though it didn't start out this way, it had evolved into me focusing on helping lawyers with business development. So between those two things, she just thought that I would be a perfect fit for being a a helpful member of the ADR section. (laughs) So uh, I ended up going. I thought, okay, well, maybe she has a point. So I decided to check out the annual conference. And I just loved the people. They were so smart and so nice. And they were just really inspiring group. And so now mediators and arbitrators are a significant portion of my practice. And I've through the podcast, I've talked to a lot of ADR professionals and members of the section on dispute resolution. And I, I can attest that everyone I've spoken with has been a fantastic person. And so I definitely get where you're coming from and um, wanting to work with people like that. Yeah, um, it really helps. <laughs> if you have a niche, it's really nice to choose a niche where you like the people. Absolutely. And I, I think one of your, your niche is helping lawyers and your professionals. Um, but were you a lawyer in your, I guess, your previous life before you became a coach? Yes. Yes, I was. Yeah, I guess I didn't mention that part. Um, that was part of why I decided initially that the niche I would focus on would be lawyers. Uh, and once you focus on lawyers, you start dealing with business development because it's just such an important part of developing a sec- successful practice in the long term in one's career. Uh, but yeah, I started out as a lawyer. I tried a couple different things and it, it didn't, 
I didn't love it. Um, I was okay as a lawyer, but it just wasn't uh, my calling, really. So that's why I ended up transitioning to coaching, which just inspired me at a level that the law never did. Well, we talked about how you found your niche, um, but let's talk about more. Let's talk more about what it means to find your niche when you're starting your own ADR practice. So, Anna, we've talked about how you found your niche in executive coaching, um, but let's talk a little bit more about how you find your niche when you're starting out on your own as an ADR practitioner or a lawyer. Um, and I'm sure we could s- fill a series of podcasts on how we address all the obstacles to starting your own practice and how coaching can help with those obstacles. But let's discuss how coaching can help you find your niche when you're starting out. So I guess my first question is, when we talk about finding your niche, what do we mean when we say niche? Yeah, so a niche really just means aiming to be the go-to person for a certain type of case, or at least that's how I define it. (laughs) There's There's a whole world of mediation cases out there, and choosing a niche means that you're going to market yourself to just a narrow segment of all those possible cases. So really the question is, how do you narrow it down, right? How do you choose which sliver of that pie you're going to go after? So typically you want to focus on geography and subject matter expertise. So for example, you know, An example of a niche might be divorcing couples in New York City that have a special needs child. Now, I know to most people that sounds shockingly narrow, but if you think about the goal, the goal is to be, you want to be the number one most sought after mediator for the particular kind of case in your niche. So just being a divorce mediator in New York isn't enough. Right? There are probably thousands of mediators in New York City who mediate divorce, maybe even tens of thousands. So you have to find a way to parse out a piece of that market where you can really win. Now, obviously, there are other practice areas that may lend themselves to larger geographic footprints. For example, if your expertise is school district labor agreements, you may define your niche you know, you define your geographic area as the whole United States. So it's really a matter of finding a balance between the subject matter expertise and then figure out what the geographic area that's appropriate, that's going to be a good fit for that. Right. And I think before we started talking, one of the things that I was, one of the questions I was asking myself was, when we talk about niche, is that practice area? So in my head, I had it, if you practice admiralty law, for example, for 15 years, your niche is going to be admiralty law. But it sounds like it's a bit more complex than that. And by a bit, I mean extremely. Well, it depends. I mean, honestly, for some people, it's not that much more complicated, but for others it is. Uh, So first of all, with admiralty law, I don't really honestly know anything about admiralty law. Uh, my guess is there may be at least a lot of it is not something that lends itself to mediation because some practice areas don't. Uh, practice areas where uh, the parties, maybe one of the parties is the government, that's not going to lend itself to, to mediation, at least not typically. Uh, so 
you know, that that's one thing to consider. But but in terms of your general question, right, is is niche different from practice area? I mean, that's a mistake that most people make, right? And frankly, it's the same mistake I made when I first started my coaching practice. I thought, oh, you're supposed to have a niche. Okay, well, I'm a lawyer. I'll coach lawyers, right? You just <laughs> choose something that makes sense, but you haven't really thought through it in a systematic way. So, you know, people have their practice area and they think that's enough. So let's take construction law, for example. There's a big difference between infrastructure-related construction mediations right? Those may have environmental issues. They might have hundreds of subcontractors versus you may have a construction case where it's just a conflict between a homeowner and a general contractor. Now, both of those are construction mediation, but they're very different niches, right? Where are you going to network for one versus the other is going to be very different. What kind of articles will you write? Who are you going to try to develop relationships with? I mean, those are the kinds of questions that you want to be obvious after you've chosen your niche, right? Once you know your niche, those other things flow pretty naturally. Uh, so that's why, that's why it's really helpful to choose a niche, not just because, I mean, I know we're, I guess we're probably going to get into more of those parts later, but it's not just a matter of you know, what you say to someone when you meet them at a cocktail party, but it's also a matter of, it gives you direction in terms of the actions that you are going to take to promote your practice. So we talked earlier about areas of the law that don't lend themselves to, to mediation. What, what would my niche be if I take admiralty law? Assume, because probably is the case, admiralty law does not lend itself to mediation. What can I, how do I focus my search on finding a niche if my prior practice um, isn't something that is often mediated? So a lot of people have some version of that dilemma, if not because they were admiralty lawyers. Uh, and I could be wrong about that. I just don't know enough about it. Um, Anna, I hope we're not alienating admiralty lawyers. Admiralty lawyers this maybe, podcast. There if, any some... of you, if any of you are listening out there, we apologize. <laughs> well, maybe someone will, you know, write in and tell you that they have a thriving mediation practice in admiralty law. And I will learn something from that, which would be and great. We would love to have you on the podcast for a future episode. <laughs> Exactly. So, but, but the general question is, what if you don't have an obvious practice area that lends itself to mediation? Because there are a lot of people who have that. Either there's people who are maybe early on in their career and they don't have that much experience, or there are people who maybe they're general counsel, they're retiring as general counsel, and they've done a little bit of everything. So, I mean, people in in that position uh, also have this kind of dilemma. And the question is really about choosing something that's a good fit for your personality, a good fit for your interests. I mean, you're not going to choose something that you have zero experience with, or at least that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, But if you have a range of experiences, you sort of look at those different options you have before you and evaluate which one uh, which one you would have a competitive advantage in. And part of that would, of course, be what do you like? Like if you've maybe you're early on in your career, you've mediated a total of 10 cases and 
three of them were in one area and you thought, hey, I thought that was pretty great. You got, you had success. You got along well with the parties. You, it just seems like a good fit. That's enough to base your niche on. You don't have to have been in the same practice area for the last 25 years or 40 years to, to be able to choose something as your niche. How does that work if you are uh, on the younger side when you're getting into ADR? Uh, I think a common misconception is that you have to have that 20 years of experience before you can become a mediator or an arbitrator. So what does a niche look like to someone who is, um, you know, maybe five or 10 years into their career? It looks pretty similar. Uh, a lot of the time you, you might choose what I might call an easier practice area. So maybe a divorce or employment, something where there tends to be a lot of it. And for various reasons, it can be easier to get some experience under your belt. So that may be one approach. Another is if you've been practicing for five or 10 years, five or 10 years of practicing, that's not nothing. (laughs) You still probably have some significant understanding of the legal issues and you could base your practice, you could market yourself in that area, you know, in whatever that practice area is. Uh, if you have five or 10 years of experience, you no doubt have some insights. Once you've done a few mediations, you probably have some additional things to say on the subject. So I, I think a lot of people really undersell themselves, especially lawyers. Lawyers feel that if they do not have 100% of the knowledge that they can't speak about a subject, obviously that's a huge generalization, but I do see a lot of people who, who have that concern. Yes, you've been practicing for seven years, not 40. There are people you're competing against who have been practicing for 40 years, which on one hand is very intimidating, but on the other hand, you do still have some things going for you. Uh, I mean, one of which is possibly the amount of money you need to make may be lower, which could be helpful. So there are a lot of different uh, factors. So we've talked a lot about what finding your niche means and what different kinds of niches are. Um, But now I'd like to talk about why is it important to find your niche? And I guess to that point, I've heard from a lot of practitioners that you know they want to be generalists. They don't want to limit themselves. They want to advertise themselves as someone who can mediate or arbitrate any kind of case. So why would it benefit someone to, in a way, limit their practice area? That is, I think, the number one fear that people have about having a niche. But the thing people don't really recognize is that, you know, it's like if you were dating, You are dating and you are looking for someone who's going to be a good match for you. And people say to you, oh, what are you looking for? And you say, oh, well, I want someone who is smart and nice and attractive. Well, okay, that's not particularly helpful, right? (laughs) Whereas if you say, oh, I want someone who loves baseball or who likes going out dancing or, I mean, once you start giving people more to work with, more specifics, it actually makes them think about what you need and and start uh, being able to identify people who might be a good fit. 
it's it's basically the same thing with having a niche. So you part of what you are doing is you by putting yourself out there in the world as a person who has a particular expertise, you're actually attracting people who you wouldn't attract otherwise. So clients want expertise. Clients don't want someone who does everything. If you think about it like this, if, if you had to choose, you need brain surgery and you need to choose between a general surgeon or a brain surgeon. I, I don't know many people who would choose the general surgeon. Now, this general surgeon may be wonderfully competent, but that doesn't change the fact that you need brain surgery and you want a brain surgeon. <laughs> now, the fact that, that the, the surgeon may be perfectly wonderful, perfectly competent, but that just the clients don't feel that that's what they need, right? The clients have been struggling with some issue for possibly years. And if they feel like if it was easy to resolve, it would have been resolved already. So given that they see this thing as some big hairy knot that needs to be undone, they want the best person for the job. And in their minds, the best person for the job is one who has subject matter expertise. Now, I know that we could have a whole other conversation about mediators and if the best mediators can really mediate everything. I mean, I do believe that the really excellent mediators can do a great job with any kind of mediation. However, there is also the fact that, especially for more complex kinds of issues and particular uh, subject matter areas, it, it is helpful if the mediator has a basic understanding of the kinds of issues that tend to come up in that area, they know the acronyms, they know the ramifications that, that commonly occur. There, there are things that subject matter expertise brings outside of just the general mediation skills. Now, I mean, so I, I really, I think it can go both ways, but there is something to be said for the argument that it's valuable to have someone with subject matter expertise. So when we're talking about finding a niche, that to me is different than improving your skills as a mediator. If you improve your skills as a mediator, you're definitely going to get a better reputation in the ADR community, and that will certainly bring you some clients but it's not really expanding your net in the sense of becoming a subject matter specialist is. You know, if a subject matter uh, or a, a client looking for someone in an employment case isn't necessarily going to just look for a, a really good mediator, they're going to want a really good employment mediator. That's exactly right. Uh, I think it, it's a really important point and one that people often don't recognize that, I mean, while it is true that the better you are as a mediator, the more likely you are to get referrals, the more likely people are to recommend you, the more likely you are to get repeat business in situations where that might be appropriate. Uh, so all of that is helpful, right? I don't want to discount that at all. But at the same time, you have to remember 
This is a super, super competitive marketplace. And the truth is, people don't really know what a good mediator is. Hmm. Uh, I mean, one person came to me uh, at the very early on when I started coaching mediators, and she was saying to me, I've been in this market for years, and suddenly there's this new guy coming in and he is eating my lunch. He is taking all my clients, and he's not even a proper mediator. This is a legitimate concern. There are people who go in as mediators and they're not doing perhaps what we officially think of as mediation. And yet they're getting clients. There's, there are a lot of things to think about in terms of how you want to frame yourself, um, the skills you want to, to highlight. I mean, part of it is really having flexibility to give clients what they need as well as what they think they need. And I think a lot of mediators go in and they, they have an idea of how the mediation is supposed to go. And they don't always have as much flexibility in terms of supporting the clients the way that the clients want to be supported. Um, I mean, another, another way this shows up uh, is I, I interviewed an employment uh a, a, a employment lawyer who does tons of mediations. She, they use lots and lots of, uh, do a lot of mediations. And I asked what they, you know, what she's, what she looks for in a mediator. And she basically said, well, it depends on the parties. It depends on their personalities. And for sometimes they want X, Y, Z kinds of qualities. Sometimes they want someone who's going to be more facilitative. Sometimes they want someone who's going to be more directive and they make that choice based on the personalities at play and sort of the dynamics of the, you know, of the case. So uh, the point, the, the point, I guess, is that there are a lot of different styles that can work. And obviously, the better you are, the more flexible and the more effective you are, sort of the better that is for your, for your practice in general. But at the same time, I see a lot of people who are continuing to get more and more trainings, which is great, right? It probably is making them better mediators, and yet they are still struggling. So, Anna, we've talked a lot about why it's important um, to have a niche in terms of, you know, clients want expertise. But are there other benefits to finding and advertising your niche as a solo? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first is that it narrows the competition, right? Rather than competing against thousands of people or hundreds of thousands, <laughs> maybe not hundreds, tens of thousands of people, uh, you, are you are competing only against those people who have your same subject matter expertise and who are advertising themselves as such. Uh, the other thing is it focuses your attention, so you have, there are so many things that you can do as a mediator to promote your practice. And they take time. If you're out there going to conferences, you are writing, you are speaking, you are networking. Those things take a lot of time. And once you've decided that you're going to focus on a particular, you know, a, a very 
particular subset, then you know where you should go, right? People are all the time saying, oh, well, I know I should network, so I went to XYZ conference. And then I ask them, well, how does that fit in with your niche? And they think about it and they say, oh, well, I guess it doesn't. So focusing your attention is really important. It also leverages client referrals. So you have, you know, if, if, if you're active and known within a certain community and people ask about mediators, uh, someone will pass on your name, no doubt. But if you are really active in that community, you're super pursuing that niche, you're writing, you're speaking, you're doing all these things that one does to promote themselves in the community, you're probably going to be, they're going to, multiple people will probably give someone your name. And then once you, they've heard your name from more than one person, instead of being just one of many who might be considered, you become kind of the obvious choice. Mm. So there, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why, why it has value. So at the beginning of this episode, we said that the entire process of becoming a solo practitioner could fill in a series of podcasts. And I think we've shown that because we filled about half an hour now with uh, just the aspect of finding your own niche. But before I let you go, I'd like to um, zoom out and talk a bit more about the overall coaching process. Um, so without giving away any of your coaching secrets, um, could you give us an outline of how the coaching process works? Sure. So, uh, I mean, I tend to have a very flexible approach. So people come to me for a whole range of things. Uh, so, so we start with whatever people's biggest concern is, but when people are coming to me in terms of trying to focus on how to market their mediation practice, uh, we start with usually what is their niche, fine tuning their niche. If they have one already, then we look at what are their unique selling points? What are the things that make them stand out and make them different from the other the other people in that same niche. Uh, the next thing we look at usually is powerful messaging. So once you have your niche and your unique selling points, you need to figure out how you're going to communicate about them in a way that makes sense. And then, of course, we need a strategy, right? Once you've decided these things, you have to make some choices about how you're going to spend your time and energy. And then we make a business development plan, which is essentially a more detailed version of the strategy. And that's all in the sort of preliminary planning process. So when you're talking about lawyers, for example, you know, your typical lawyer might not need to go through so much detail because a general law practice isn't as competitive as a mediation practice. But for setting up a mediation practice for success, it tends to be really helpful to go through those five elements first. But then once all of that is taken care of, the next piece is implementing their plan, right? You, at the end of this was, okay, now you have this super powerful business development plan that has you set up for success, but you still have to go out into the world and take those actions, have those conversations, speak, write, whatever. And so 
I mean, we all know that there could be a big difference between making a plan and actually following through with it. Or even if we follow through on the actions, sometimes things don't go the way we hoped they would, or maybe they go better. But either way, there's it, it's helpful to have someone check in with you on a regular basis. Uh, sometimes I meet with people once a week, or once every other week, or once a month. It just it really depends on what's appropriate for that person. But by having someone who you're checking in with regularly, you have the chance to not only have the, the support structure, because let's face it, most of us can, can do with a little bit of accountability. <laughs> I don't spend a ton of time on that, but knowing that someone's going to check in and say, hey, did that thing you were going to do, how did that go? Uh, that tends to help. Uh, but then, of course, we also can address the other things that get in the way. I mean, the, you know, figuring out how to sell yourself I mean, part of it is the niche and all of those things, but a big part of it is also mental framework. So if you're thinking, hey, I don't want to be used car salesman, I hate those people, that's that's going to get in the way if you're trying to sell yourself. Not that you should be used car salesman, obviously. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. I don't want it. Nobody does. But uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are sort of more on the mental side that get in people's way, right? Sometimes people feel like they don't belong. And sometimes they feel like they're just really bad at saying no, or they're bad at asking for what they want or things like that, which those are things that I help people with. And it's that those things are not so much about, hey, here's some tips and tricks. It's really about you know, I have exercises and we have conversations that it doesn't take a long time, right? It's not like therapy. It's not like you're going to do this for years, but like having one deep conversation to address some stuck point is really powerful for moving people forward around those, those sort of more subtle kind of behind the scenes issues that come up for people. So the coaching is, is fundamentally those two things. It's figuring out the plan, which having a niche is, is a piece of that. And then there's the implementation. Absolutely. And it, it sounds a bit like a, an executive coach's part business planner, part therapist, because you're dealing with both the marketing and business planning aspects, but you're also dealing with a lot of uh, the personal aspects of it as well. There's, you know, people have always said this to me when I've explained about my coaching practice. And I've had a lot of clients who have me and they also have a therapist. And, and sometimes there are topics that come up with the, the therapist and with me. But there are really some differences. Uh, the, the thing about coaching is that it is very forward looking. So right. although we might have a conversation at some point about feeling like you didn't belong in high school or what your family's approach to like how they felt that their role was in the community or like things like that might be relevant, right? We might have a short conversation about that, but it's really just to briefly identify where some of these ideas or preconceptions might be coming from, but it's not something we spend a lot of time on because the whole goal is to say, oh, I have this framework. This framework is maybe not 
correct or maybe not applicable in this particular situation. And then you can make a choice about how to move forward. It's not, it's not something where we spend hours and hours diving deep into your psyche or anything like that. Well, Anna, we could probably talk all day about the different aspects of coaching and the process that goes into establishing your own practice, but uh, I'm going to let you go. And if our listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about the coaching process or the process of starting their own practice, um, where can they find more information? I actually have two websites now. I have accelerationcoaching.com, which is spelled E-X-C-E-L-L-E-R-A-T-I-O-N coaching.com. It's all one word. It's a combination between excellence and to accelerate. So unfortunately, it's not a word, which is a little bit difficult. So accelerationcoaching.com, or I have one that's specifically for mediators and business development, which is marketingformediators.com. That one's fortunately easy to spell. (laughs) And on that one, uh, I actually have some videos posted that talk about the 11 common mistakes mediators make when developing a practice. So you may want to check that out. Absolutely. I'm sure our listeners will um, visit your sites and probably get in touch with you with some more questions. Um, but Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It was great learning more about um, finding your niche as a solo practitioner and how the coaching process can aid practitioners getting their start. Um, So thank you for taking the time to talk with me and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and check back next week for another episode of Resolutions. Thanks, it was fun.